recording. You are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU Radio. I am Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My two guests today write and direct plays on human rights topics. Andy Park is the Artistic Director of the Nebraska Repertory Theater and Research Assistant Professor of Theater. Arthur Feinstein is Professor of Theater and the Honors College at Indiana State University. I have known Arthur for many years. So, Andy, when when did you know you wanted to be on stage? I knew from a very, very young age that I wanted to do theater. And, you know, my uh, local high school uh, actually would hold auditions and let elementary school students audition for roles. And so my first role was as a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. And, you know, the children from all over the school district were part of the show. And then various schools would bus in and watch multiple performances of The Wizard of Oz or whatever the show was. So I did that. Um, every year that I was in elementary school and there was a summer program at the park by the same director that would do shows. So from a very early age, I got extremely involved in theater. And and am I right that um, that might've been really early, like um, age five when you knew you were going to behave, if if I've got it right, a ventriloquist? That's right. So um, in between my kindergarten and first grade year, I went to an amusement park with my family and I saw a ventriloquist for the first time. I didn't even know it was a thing. And I couldn't believe that those puppets could talk like that. And I asked my mom, like, how, how does this puppet talk? How does how that happening? And she said, the, the guy is doing it. He's talking without moving his lips. I probably drove my family crazy on the way home, but I discovered that I was a natural ventriloquist. And then I started saving up 10 cans to buy my own puppet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but between age five and six, maybe I was starting to collect baseball cards. <laughs> not, not nearly as in, impressive. Um, so um, uh, when you were a... Uh, where'd you go to school, undergraduate? I went to Indiana State University in Terre Haute, Indiana, and actually the the director that I auditioned for, The Wizard of Oz, and all those shows over the years, uh, he was my high school theater teacher as well, and he was an alum of Indiana State University, and so that's how I was introduced to the program. And and that was before, um, I think, Arthur was there, so you hadn't met him yet. That's right, right. And um, was your decision to go into theater because you then went from uh, undergraduate to uh, to uh, get a master's, and that was where uh, I got my master my 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 MFA at the Theater Conservatory at the okay. Chicago College of Performing Arts at Roosevelt in downtown Chicago. And was this um, career path something that your parents were kind of pleased with? Um, They have grown to accept it um, over the years, but certainly initially I was sort of predestined to go on the same path. My dad is an evangelical minister, so I'm a a PK, a preacher's kid, and both of my grandparents were missionaries on um, various reservations, and that's how my dad grew up. 
And so it was sort of just an, the idea that I would be going to the, the Christian college, Indiana Westland University, actually, and that I would become a pastor like my dad. Um, but I opted to go um, toward another theatrical field, you know, theater instead. <laughs> and I ended up um, at Indiana State and um, I haven't turned back and doing it ever since. Um, I, were your parents initially pretty upset? They were upset. You know, it's funny because around that time, the Dead Poets Society had come out. And I, I told my parents one day when they were pressuring me and trying to strong arm me into going to the, to the church school, I was like, you know, I really respond to a character in that. They had no idea what the movie was. They watched it. And after that, they were much more supportive. Um, I don't know if it's because of the movie um, or if they just finally gave up after a, after a while. Okay. Um, so uh, you went to graduate school and, uh, and then uh, what, what did you do? Was this? Well, you know, actually I have to say, so it, after my, um, after, during my sophomore year at Indiana State, um, I had been hired as a ventriloquist on this showboat in Ohio. And I went out there, the director kind of went off the deep end of the boat, I guess you could say. And um, I ended up becoming the interim artistic director. And so that was while I was still an undergrad. So I held auditions. I hired a bunch of the, my fellow classmates from ISU. And we went and we performed on this showboat. We did it for three years. And then from that experience, I was able to leverage that to get into a good program. And then many of us um, Indiana State alums who worked on that showboat together um, back when I was a student, um, we we are the ones that then started Quest Theater Ensemble. And and what is Quest Theater and where where was it? You know, um, Quest Theater was in Chicago. Um, it we opened the theater in 2002, and it and it um, ran for 17 years. Um, it was a free theater. So, you know, you talk about social justice and equity. The thing for us is we believed that the second you put a price tag on art, you start excluding people. And so it was our mission to make sure that everyone had accessibility to the arts, regardless of their financial position. And, you know, in Chicago, there's an old saying that one actor does a, a monologue, two actors do a scene three actors start a theater company. <laughs> and that was true for us. We started this theater company. We ran it. It was a free theater and it ran, it was the only one of its kind in Chicago. So we had huge audiences. We were part of a 200, over 200 theater um, off loop theater scene, but we stood out um, in part because we had an extremely diverse audience and because our shows were free. Um, but, still professional. So I, I, I can imagine going to a financial advisor and said, um, what do you think about our um, financial plan? Um, how'd you survive for 16 years? <laughs> you know, it's on the generosity of the audience. It, it really, it really was, you know, because people that could give a little bit more, they would. And the people who couldn't give anything, you know, they were still there and they were still our supporters. They would help get other people there. And people were generous. Uh, a church gave us a whole basement and storage, and we converted the basement into a theater. And so people started donating stuff to us. We, they do, we got a tour bus donated to us that we would use to tour throughout the Midwest. So um, it, it, it works out. If you, if you give, then people give back. 
Um, and uh, when did when did you start doing plays um, uh, that addressed human rights or social justice issues? Can you just talk about perhaps one of the first ones? Yeah, I think it would be important for me to tell about an experience that I had. Um, I was living on the commune in Vermont with Bread and Puppet Theater. And this was in between my first year of grad school and my second year of grad school. And during that year, um, that the, there was a big G8 summit that happened in Genoa. And so there were a lot of folks that were protesting uh, globalization and seeing all this military might um, come together. It was heavily guarded, of course. And this kid, Carlo Giuliani, he had this fire extinguisher and he was trying, he was going to throw it at this armored vehicle and the soldier rolled down his window and shot him. And then they, they took that armored vehicle and they ran over him twice. And I was at Bread and Puppet just learning really how politics and theater could come together in this really amazing way. And it really struck me mainly because I was, it was like looking at myself, he was my exact age. And, um, and I thought, man, this kid, he, he is ready to die for something. This globalization, what is globalization? You know, what is all this? And it was just, it was a profound experience. And there was this show we did, Peter Schumann, who was the director of Bread and Puppet, he did this mass for uh, Carlo Giuliani and he selected me. And as part of this, I carried very sacredly this fire extinguisher into the dirt floor cathedral where the audience had gathered. And together, um, Peter and I dug a hole and we buried this fire extinguisher in the dirt. And then he did this fiddle sermon where he played and he told the story. And it was a profoundly moving experience. And when I left after that summer at Bread and Puppet, um, I went back to school and not even two weeks after I got back is when 9-11 happened. Um, and I was com a completely different person at that point. And so at that, at that point, you were focused on, on issues involving social justice or human rights? At, that's exactly right. And, you know, of course, all the saber rattling started after 9-11. Um, and, and I now knew how to make big puppets. I was now a stilt walker. I'd even become a vegetarian while I was on that commune. And so it was time to um, start making noise. And so my friends and I, we started building puppets. We started protesting, marching down the streets of Chicago. And that's really um, what began to fuel um, all of that. And, um, uh, and you had a, um, a play about Abraham. Did that happen soon after? It did. So that was in 2003 and it was and, called, yeah. Well, just go ahead with the title and then. Yep. It was called Abraham's Calling. So I want to come back to that in, yeah. in, a, uh, in a few minutes. Um, and just, uh, uh, just to take it where you are now, um, uh, uh, just in just a, um, a minute or so, just to talk about where you're working and now and what are you doing? Yeah, so I'm at Nebraska Repertory Theater right now in Lincoln, Nebraska. It is the only professional equity house in the state of Nebraska. And I'm the artistic director. I'm running it and teaching at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And uh, we have been on this really big initiative um, called hashtag real change, where we've been trying to bring racial justice issues and deal with systemic racism in the university and at the rep 
And so we've been doing these incredible real change of um, events in collaboration and in conjunction with the St. Louis Black Rep. So, so we're going we're gonna to come back to that. Um, and uh, Arthur, hello. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, uh, I want to go back early in, in, um, in your time because uh, I think it may be relevant to this, but um, uh, how old were you when, and how did it come about when you understood what the Holocaust was? Yes, I remember very distinctly. Um, I was young. I, I, I'm not sure exactly how how young. Maybe ten. Um, when my mother explained to me what the Holocaust was—that six million people, kind of like me, with the same religion as me, were killed uh, just really just a, a handful of years before I was born—and um, it was it was a shocking experience for me and um and i remember thinking at the time uh, i just just really shaken by that uh but i wasn't sure what to do with it except to just realize that this is something that happened so yeah um and arthur just so it's clear um your, your family is jewish correct yes yeah um and did, did it did it uh in any way um, uh, is part of knowing that awful part of world history and um, uh, connect to some of the other things that you started to do even in high school that had to do with social justice? Yeah, uh, you know, it's hard to know if that was the in, the issue that uh, inflamed my sort of social justice uh, initiatives. But um, in high school, I was um, president of first my sophomore class, then my junior class, and then the whole school in my senior year. And uh, one of the uh, most exciting projects for me was one which we called the Bedford-Stuyvesant Appalachian Initiative or something like that. What we did was we collected clothes and toys and uh, canned goods from the community, which is a very wealthy community. It's Roslyn, Long Island, very wealthy community. Uh, and I worked uh, hand in hand with an African-American guy um, who lived in sort of the other part of Roslyn, sort of the... Uh, you might call across the tracks. Um, and he and I partnered together in, um, in, in trying to get this initiative together. And we filled many, many, many trucks full of stuff. Half the trucks were going to go to Bedford Stuyvesant, uh, in Brooklyn, half of them were going to go to, uh, Appalachia, the Appalachian mountains. And, um, it was a very exciting project and, uh, had a lot of support from the student body and the faculty. And, uh, it was, was, you know, we just filled filled those trucks, and it was very exciting. There's a picture of mm -hmm. all these trucks lined up with us standing there on one of the trucks, you know, together. Uh, I still have so, that picture. So yeah. at the same time, you were you were dealing, you were focused on social justice issues, including issues of poverty and race, but um, but also were uh, very involved in theater. Correct. Correct. Um, uh, so you uh, you left high school and uh, went to college. 
um, and uh, and what were you studying and looking to to do with your life when you were in college? Sure. Um, well, I I, I got uh, I went to Harvard and I went as a sophomore. In other words, I had taken enough AP courses um, to qualify as a sophomore. So uh, the advantage of that was um, that oh wow, I could get through college in three years if I wanted to. The disadvantage was I had to declare my major right away. So as I as a you know my first year. Um, I had to declare my major. So I declared it as government, thinking that I wanted to go into to, to law, uh, to law school. And, and um, that didn't turn out to happen. Um, well, let me just stick with that for a sec. Um, <laughs> I was uh, in the same way that Andy um, had some pressure about um, becoming a minister, uh, were you receiving the same kind of pressure to be a lawyer? Yes, correct, correct. Um, and and I, you know, to be fair, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer too. I mean, it's not like uh, it was completely external to me. It was something that I remember um, before I went to sleep, I would daydream about myself in front of a bunch of law books, and and you know, just felt like that's where my future was. I mean, I bought it. I I I, I swallowed the whole thing quite fully. Well, well as a former uh, a former lawyer. Um, I I can tell you I never um, thought looking um, lovingly at law books. <laughs> um, that that wasn't uh, certainly part of what you need need to do. So um, so uh, when you when you left Harvard, did you did you go to law school? Well, no, I didn't. Well, you know, to, to be fair, I started along that path. I read, I remember Clarence Darrow's autobiography, and I was very moved by that and felt like I wanted to be a lawyer like Clarence Darrow. I wanted to, you know, to to go for really important causes, social causes, et cetera. Um, and then um, I decided to become part of the prison program, uh, part of the Phillips Brooks House at uh, Harvard. Uh, they had a prison program where you could teach. And, and so I thought, well, you know, since I want to be a lawyer, and I want to be a criminal lawyer, uh, I should try to get to know criminals. So I thought, okay, that sounds like a, an exciting fit. So I'll, I'll do that. So I went down, I interviewed, and they asked me what I wanted to teach at Walpole State Prison, which, by the way, is a maximum security prison. And I said, I'd like to teach a government or, or social studies or something like that. And they said, well, I don't know if anyone want to really study that in the prison. Uh, do you have something else? And I said, well, I, I've been studying theater for all through high school and stuff. Maybe I can teach uh, acting. They went, wow, perfect. We'll teach it. So, so let me just uh, take one break and I'll come, come back to let sure. you know sure. um, what we're doing here. Yeah. Uh, you are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU Radio. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My two guests today write and direct plays on human rights issues. Um, uh, Andy Park is the artistic director of the Nebraska Repertory Theater and research assistant professor of theater. Arthur Feinsod is professor of theater in the Honors College at Indian State, Indiana State University. So Arthur, if you can sort of move um, toward the end of this, the, the work at, at Walpole about the, um, the play that you put on. 
Okay. Yes. Um, so, so it was a, a three-year involvement. Every Wednesday night, I would go to Walpole State Prison, uh, which was not that far from Harvard. It was about a what forty-five-minute drive, and um, we went there. And I, uh, you know, for three years, taught an acting class. And somewhere in the uh, second year, um, it was becoming very politicized. The prison. Um, the the um, there was a warden. Um, I believe his name was Perel, who. Uh, was not extremely popular with the inmates. Uh, he'd walk around with a with a gun and with a billy club. And anyway, he was he was not seen as a lovable figure. Um, and uh, and I didn't really realize all that at the beginning. And and I started to realize that as my um, as I was starting to teach similarly to the way I taught the first year, it was not going over the same way. The inmates were much more wanting to do a more political theater. And at first, I resisted it. Didn't feel I was the right person to do that. And uh, there was a lot of anger towards me. And uh, anyway, uh, that hostility was difficult to deal with as a young kid. I, mean, I was the youngest person in the the prison uh, acting class um, far and away. I mean, they were all at least in their 20s and 30s. And of course, I was uh, I was young. So anyway, um, to, to make a long story short, we decided late on that we were going to actually w- write our own play uh, called The Inmate Warden. Um, and, and by this time, it was very political. And this play was about a prison takeover. Um, and, at, and it was amazing that we got it approved. We did get it approved. And we did did uh, do it, and um, it was quite controversial. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, it was, and and I do remember um, that uh, uh, one part of that that was really um, special for me is that there was music, and one of uh, there was a trumpet player who had played for um, some uh, amazing. Uh, professional jazz players, um, but um, um, so just bringing this um, uh, up, you, you uh, coming back to law school, you did not go to law school and, uh, and how did that go? And you went to theater school at Berkeley? Uh, not theater school, but it was a it was a PhD program in dramatic art at UC okay. Berkeley. Yes. And how did that go over with your parents? Well, it did not. Uh, it did not go over well at all. Um, my parents were were very upset with my changing direction because it seemed so logical that I would, you know, go go into law. And um, but what happened in at Walpole State Prison was I loved teaching and I loved teaching theater, and that was the big turnaround for me. So I decided I would apply to UC Berkeley to get a PhD in theater, um, thinking that you know it was a, a scholar director program. I thought that was perfect for me because I. I, you know, saw myself being very interested in theater scholarship as well as directing. So it seemed like a perfect max match. So um, that's what I did. Well, my parents were not happy um, and uh, I had to end up paying for my last year of Harvard by, by myself um, and which was fine. I did. And um and uh, went in that direction, and was uh, but I did get a scholarship at UC Berkeley, which enabled me to to um, and then I got teaching assistantship. So I never had to ask money from my parents uh, after all that. Okay, um, and uh, and then you um, you ended up uh, 
finishing your PhD at um, NYU, New York Correct. University, and then on to uh, to where you've been for a long, long time in the theater department at Indiana State University. No, originally, um, actually, for 15 years, I was at Trinity College in Hartford, uh, right at, right out of uh, PhD program. Yeah, no problem. Uh, 15 years, and then 15 more years. Uh, you know, well, no, 15 years at at uh, at Trinity, and then it's been about 20 or so years at uh, Indiana State. Yep. Um, so I, I, I want to turn this to uh, to both of you, and I, Andy. I, I think I'll start with you with. Uh, it, is when you're doing social justice, human rights plays, it strikes me that it's very easy for things to get controversial. Um, and uh, Andy, I think you had a uh, um, a play about Abraham. Uh, maybe you could sort of, when did that come about? And, um, or, or, was it, um, or is it the one, uh, uh, is that the one or is it the one that happened that, um, that you talked about uh, before? Which was which is the one which was most? Uh, well, you know, th that's a good question. Um, I, I would say that the Abraham play, um, certainly, um, it was called Abraham's Calling. It was right after, I mean, it was 2003 when this production went up in Chicago there was, in fact, one of a friend of mine, a Muslim friend of mine, and I. He was a, a student in the MFA program at Roosevelt as well, and we were riding the elevator up, and someone actually asked him to get off the elevator. Um, and you know, so the sentiment in Chicago, even as progressive as you imagine it to be, um, was not where it should be. And so Abraham. It received some backlash, or some, you know, it, I don't know, backlash from various, from Christian groups, from Muslim groups, from um, from Jewish groups. I mean, it was, I would say, the most controversial play that I that I've ever um, worked on, and partly because of where the country was at that time and where Chicago was at that time. And, and what was what was the focus of of your play? It was the focus was interfaith. Is it possible that Abraham, biblical Abraham, could be a symbol of reconciliation between um, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism? Is that possible? And that was what the the play was was trying to ask. It, the play was um, certainly, you know, the play was more abstract than it was um, this literal thing that that you could follow. Um, I thought. That, that would give me a little flexibility. It did not. Um, but it was certainly something that a direction, a choice that I had made. But you followed Abraham along. I sort of combined the um, narratives together. And I brought up some of the the, the hot issues uh, that the three faiths have. And, um, you know, ultimately, all of them are working toward something quite similar. Um, but for whatever reason, they can't see eye to eye. And the three religions are uh, Islam. Judaism and Christianity. Um, exactly. And did, did you have any people come in and heckle and try to disrupt? We had we we had people. Um, we had some people that protested outside. You know, you always have these outliers that will want to. You know, but actually that helped us with the attendance, so that <laughs> that turned out okay. Um, but we we actually we ha we had conversations. 
And after all the performances, so we would bring in different experts and a critic had come after the play saying that it was a Christian view. And then that caused a backlash because we had worked with some, you know, Islamic scholars. We'd worked with all these different people that really took offense uh, to that. So there was backlash toward a critic. Um, And then there were inside of after the play in the talkbacks, in the conversations, things would get heated. And things would get heated because, you know, it was, I'd never seen anything like it. You know, people from all three faiths, um, they're together um, watching this show, which is, you know, one of the values. Theater is one of the only things that can bring a diverse group of people together to share a common experience. And in that space, so much is possible. Sometimes we had really good conversations. Sometimes they got heated. Sometimes it it reverted back into that, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right you know, mentality that that, that that sort of haunts all three faiths, I think. Um, well, I, I can imagine almost at any time it could, it could lead to those type of issues, but uh, soon after September 11th, um, even more so. Um, Arthur, I know that you have done um, uh, shows and which were controversial, and one of them, which was not your show, but I think is an, an important one to talk about, which is um, the uh, a play about Rachel Corey, and maybe you could talk about um, uh, what the play was about and um, what where where the conflict came. Yes, yes. Uh, the play was called uh, is called My Name Is Rachel Corey. And um, it was a very important play for me. It was um, uh, ba- basically about a American um, student. I believe she was still a student uh, who was living in um, in the Middle East, and uh, she was uh, protesting the Israeli policy of um, of, of, of uh, um, destroying a house of a terrorist. And uh, she was standing in front of a uh, tank uh, or a uh, bulldozer, I think it was actually, and um, and the bulldozer ran over her and she died. And this was a very very controversial event uh, back in Israel and Palestine. And um, if I if I can just please, add a couple of things, this would, please, would please. have been in in the West Bank, and um, the person who was driving the bulldozer was uh, somebody who's in the IDF. The um, Israeli Defense Force, or oh, the, equ- the equivalent of the of the army, um, right? Um, right. Yep. So, uh, so somebody wrote a play about it. Uh, uh, what made it controversial in in Terre Haute, Indiana? Well, um, I I wanted to uh, first of all invite um, people that I knew from the temple and and um, uh, also uh, a Palestinian professor and um, I wanted to get a conversation going between faiths um, because I felt it was a interfaith issue um, that uh, a human rights that that crisscrossed uh, interfaith uh, lines. And um, so I had a panel to discuss it, and um, it turned out to be very controversial, much more than I expected. Um, I expected a, a heated conversation, but it became a little bit even more than that. Um, it, uh, I think, uh, led to a lot of uh, hostility between me and the Jewish community in, in Terre Haute. So when, 
when, when you when you talk about hostility, what did that mean? Were you persona non grata? Yeah, I, I I felt that way. Maybe I don't know how how intended it was, but I sure felt that way. Um, I I think that's dissipated, but I I do think that uh, it was definitely strong at that time. Yep. And were the um, the people from the Jewish community who were upset about this was it um, feeling that uh, that you were uh, what, what was what was their argument about why this was an inappropriate play? Well, they they saw it as pro Palestinian, um, and um, I felt it was yeah it was pro human rights, um, and that's that was the basis on which I wanted to present it. Okay. Um, uh, for um, either of you, uh, a and maybe Andy, I'll come with you. Do you, a another play, maybe one that you've done um, in Nebraska that became controversial and come. Um, yeah, uh, well, you know, in in Nebraska, we had my first year that I was on campus. There was a, a white nationalist that was stirring up fear on campus. And really the university um, was trying to figure out how to solve an issue or how to deal with this issue um, being in a, in a very red state. Um, it's not necessarily straightforward to shut down a white nationalist, even if it should be. Um, it's more complicated. And so it was really a, a botched effort. And I remembered a play actually that I had seen when I was a student at Indiana State University and that was a play by Amiri Baraka called The Dutchman. And, and so I was like, you know, next year, next season, I'm going to do shows that will really bring up these issues. So I, I did The Dutchman. I, I brought in Ron Himes. And I learned something really important. And, and who, was, who was Ron Himes? Ron Himes is the um, artistic director, the producing director and founder of the St. Louis Black Rep, really one of the most important uh, Black theaters in the country. And, uh, and so he came in and he directed it. And, you know, he was like, if you want to talk about issues of race, you don't want to come into a room and start talking about race. He's like, instead, let's watch a play and then let's talk about the play and just let the, the conversation um, unfold naturally. And what so was the what play that you did? It was called Dutchman. And, um, and it, it's this play where these, a white uh, woman gets onto a train, she seduces a young black man, and at the end, um, she stabs him, kills him right in the train, and then another young black man gets on and she starts the whole process over again. And, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a really um, powerful, powerful play. But it was it was definitely controversial, um, and you know the the Nebraska rep audience is a primarily white audience, um, and here we were showing um, you know white America what white America looks like, and that's sometimes a hard thing to look at. It's sometimes hard to um, to recognize that you're part of um, of the problem. And, and in uh, the conversations afterwards, did it often become quite heated? The, the conversations would become heated. Um, and, and also like, you know, and, and I think a lot of times, you know, people would say things like, I, I don't see race. I don't see race. And so it's weird to see a play that is trying to make me see race, even though that's an absurd thing for someone to say. And it's a difficult thing for someone who is leading that conversation 
to have to say to somebody who has that worldview, which is pretty decades old um, perspective. Um, and were were you at some points facilitating this, or? Yeah, I I would sometimes facilitate these conversations. Um, uh, other uh, faculty members would. Um, sometimes Ron Himes himself would do some of the shows, and then the actors were part of it too. And uh, and so it was it was um, definitely a, a moving um, and rewarding experience, but it it did have edges. Let's just say too. So I'm just curious when you know you make this intentional. Um, decision and Arthur, I'm going to ask you the same question um, uh, about doing something that you know is going to be controversial. Um, do you do you have this sense that uh, um, that you simply you know like the moth that wants to go to that that strong light and get burnt? Uh, yeah, um, I don't know that you necessarily. You know, I think what theater does so beautifully is it can speak to the very, very present moment, whether it's something that's happening in the news right now um, or something that has been said before, but it just happens to be really, really relevant, uh, uh, relevant to the present moment. And so I think that's really what it is. Is we're, I think as theater artists, we're constantly trying to remind people, this is not a dead form. This is about right now. In fact, we can do what no other art form can we come in together, we go on this emotional journey, we feel real things, audiences feel real things, the actors on stage feel real things. And it's a it's a thing, a communication that's happening between the actors and audience that's so powerful. I, I think it's a great way to talk about it, but it, but it also from, from both of your perspectives, it's um, uh, you're, you're living on the edge of anxiety uh, of, um, doing these kind of controversial plays. And maybe Arthur, you could talk about um, uh, another play of yours that dealt with human rights issues that was controversial. Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> there are a bunch of, a bunch of them. Um, which, which one uh, do you think I should, because <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> um, uh, well, table 17, is that, okay, uh, that, well, that well, I think sure. table 17 would be, um, a good one, which okay, uh, sure, which... sure, sure, um, yeah, which was very much based on my own experience uh, growing up, and so I'll I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, the play is called Table Seventeen, and um, it's uh, really about um, the relations between wealthy Jews and uh, poor poorer African Americans who formerly were domestics uh, for uh, for the families of the domestic uh, of the of those uh, Jews, and uh, it's a controversy over a will and a codicil and and all of this, but it it comes down to a major. Um, uh, conflict between these former domestics uh, who are now fairly poor uh, and uh, a very wealthy Jewish family. Um, and um, it, it, uh, the, the person who gave, who emboldened me to write this was a, a, a wonderful man named Reggie Montgomery, who's African-American and was the first African-American clown in the Barnum and Bailey circus. Um, he became a very close friend of mine. We worked together at Hartford stage company and at Trinity college. Um, uh, sadly, he died in the early two thousands. 
But um, uh, when I was first working on this play, uh, I, I came to him and I said, you know, I want to write this play about this subject. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about it. I feel like it's just too sensitive. Um, African-Americans who were uh, domestics for Jews, uh, money issues with Jews, all of this seemed really too sensitive to the two cultures. And I shouldn't uh, touch it with a 10-foot pole. And he said, uh, Arthur, because it's sensitive, you have to write this play, um, which, you know, he was so adamant about it. I said, well, I, I guess I better. <laughs> so I, I, so I wrote this play. And you put it on in, in Terre Haute. Yep. I put it on. It was part of Crossroads Repertory Theater. Um, it was uh, directed by a Trinidadian black man um, named Tony Hall, um, who the late Tony Hall, a dear friend. Um, he directed it. Um, which was nice to have a kind of an outsider. I mean, he insider because he's black, but an outsider because he's Trinidadian. Uh, it was, a, I think, a very good choice for a director. Um, and uh, it was uh, it was controversial, even. And, and so, what, what, yep. what was the what was the what was the conflict, um, and how did it affect you? Well, the conflict was, um, you know, it dealt with um, issues of uh, stereotyping and how we stereotype and 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 implicit racism um, and uh, those types of issues, uh, implicit implicit uh, anti-Semitism, uh, and the conflicts between African Americans and Jews. Okay. And, uh, and did, did did was there um, concern or anger about this from? Um, both the black community and the Jewish community? Um, I, I did not get uh, conflict from the black community. In fact, uh, the NAACP gave me an award for it, um, for the uh, for the play, which I thought was really interesting, uh, the response from the Jewish community was less positive. Uh, let's put it that way, uh, more more controversial. Um, they they uh, because of you know again bringing up these issues about uh, about money. Uh, just gets really sensitive, and um, and I, I felt that the characters showed a com a very wide range of reactions to money, uh, not in any way stereotypical, because we covered so many different ways of looking at money in the Jewish community that uh, I felt that there was no uh, slant towards uh, anything that could be seen as a stereotype. But anyway, um, that's how it was viewed. And there was some, there was uh, definitely some, uh, some controversy. Um, and uh, it continued uh, when um, uh, Black Lives Matter issues came to a head uh, recently. I was supposed to do it at the Jewish Theater of Bloomington, and um, they withdrew uh, the desire to do it after the uh, Black Lives Matter I issue came to a head because they felt that it was too sensitive about um, uh, African American and Jewish relations. So they 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 uh, they. They uh, withdrew my um, the offer to have it done at the Jewish well, Theater. Well, that, that's uh, that's sad. You 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 don't get over conflict by pretending, by avoiding conflict. That doesn't work. Um, uh, Arthur, just I wanted uh, before I want to uh, uh, come back to t tell you have you talk about the play you're both working on together. But um, just quickly, uh, um, at some point, did, did your, um, um, your parents or one of them uh, 
tell you that it was okay to be a uh, in drama or did it continue on forever that yeah. they wished you had been a lawyer? Well, I think the turning point for me was uh, I was teaching an elder hostel in Italy and my parents decided to come and join elder hostel and, and be there for my lectures on the uh, theater of the Mediterranean world. And uh, I was already in my 40s, so this is pretty late on. Uh, I had been teaching at Trinity College for, you know, 10 years, 12 years. And um, they decided to come, and, and they sat in on my first lecture, which is on Greek uh, tragedy. And... Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's a very powerful subject for me. And uh, I, I taught it and it was you know, obviously it was well received. And my father came up to me afterwards and he was drenched in tears. And he said, uh, he said, Arthur, you don't have to be a lawyer. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, which was obviously I wasn't planning on being a lawyer, but uh, at that point. But anyway, uh, well, it's, it was, it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful way to. To, to end that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, uh, you, you, the, the two of you got together on trying to do a play on Abraham, um, which would, I guess, be Abraham two, even though, Arthur, you weren't in the first. But, um, and, uh, and that didn't come to fruition. What I'm interested in is you're coming back to it again. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in uh, what are you doing and why, why is talking about Abraham so important to both of you? Great question. Andy, do you want to start? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I believe that Abraham could be a symbol for reconciliation. I, I think that there is, you know, we, Arthur and I both spend our lives in some way believing that the stories that we're telling and the the symbols and themes that, that we're bringing to life on stage matter and can change the world. We believe that. I, I know I do. I, I know Arthur does too from conversations that we've had. And Abraham really is this opportunity, I think, to um, have interfaith dialogue, to hopefully um, bring some sort of conversation that could lead to positive change and mutual respect, I think. And, and, and you're focusing on uh, trying to bring together uh, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. Is that the focus? Uh well, let me let me just say that uh, w when we've tried to approach that directly, we ran into trouble. Um, when we try to hit it dead on, uh, it ended up being a little bit too preachy, and uh, I think we were showing our interfaith hand too quickly, too easily. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, you have to understand, I mean, there was a lot of positive reactions to all the incarnations of Abraham. I mean, we'd have surveys and people would be enthusiastic about it. But then we'd also have people who were very enthusiastic 
directly against it. Um, and but it wasn't a controversy that made us feel that we were on that we hit it that we hit it right. Uh, it was more like oh, it's, it's we're not quite doing it right. So we so we do a new version, and then that wasn't quite hitting it right. And then we did another version that wasn't quite hitting it right. Um, but I think we're we're both de- doggedly determined to find the right way to do it. And I think what we've figured out is to do it indirectly. To, to not hit its head on. It's sort of like bowling. You know, if you if the ball of bowling hits right in the middle pin, you end up with a split, two, two <laughs> pins on one side and two on the other. But if you do it just off to the side, you can get a strike. And I think we just need to get a little off to the side to bring the issue. And I think that's what we've decided to do. I'm just thinking um, of what would an imam, a rabbi and a priest or minister think about using um the bowling alley as the way the metaf- the metaphor for Abraham. <laughs> everything everything comes down to bowling, Steve. <laughs> um, so so how do you, um, Andy? How do you do this without? Um, I mean, maybe we should just spend one minute um, about um, why Abraham is so important and what. Um, to the three religions. Um, and we, we we don't have much time more to do that in about a minute and a half or two. Yeah, it, Abraham is the centerpiece of all three faiths. He's the father of all three faiths. So every single um, of those three great religions trace their lineage back to Abraham. And so it, 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 he is the beginning point and, and, and everything sort of disintegrates from that point, but he is the center. You, you did that in about 22 and a half seconds. That was, <laughs> that was pretty, pretty good. So, um, so Arthur, how do you, um, how do you tame this down? So it, uh, it doesn't get people angry too quickly. Well, it's, it's not about taming it down. Cause I think what we're now thinking about is not taming it down, but sort of hitting it uh, from the back door or coming in through the back door of the issue. Um, and, and therefore I think perhaps we have more uh, possibility for success. Let, let me, can I just do a quick detour and just talk about how Andy and I came together? Cause I think this is really important. Like, cause yes. we just there was yeah. so two different people, so different. We've come up from, from such different backgrounds. How did we come together as a, as a, as a team? And I just want to say that when, when I first met Andy, I met him at a funeral, actually, of a, a wife of a, of a colleague of mine, uh, and I saw something in his eye that was a, a sort of a just a bright spot in his eye that made me feel that I want to work with this guy. Um, and you know, of course, it took many years before after that before we actually did work together. But um, then, I, a former student of mine who was my TA for one of my classes was in Quest, and he told me about Abraham's calling, and I was a immediately excited about that. And, um, and I just, I remember getting in touch with Andy and said, this, I just love the idea of what you did with Abraham's calling. And, and was, but we didn't have much, uh, contact about after that. And then many years later, uh, Andy and I worked on a play called the return of Neverland where I directed Andy wrote it, uh, and a, a mutual friend of ours was the composer, Scott Lamps, who did an incredible job at the music. Anyway, uh, the three of us were sitting around after one of our rehearsals and, uh, at, uh, Denny's and we just said, you know, let's work 
worked together on uh, an Abraham musical uh, that would be maybe drawing on Abraham's calling from back in the old quest days. And we said, we got very excited. That's how it all got started. Okay. That, that is helpful. So, um, so if, what are you trying to do this time that's going to um, avoid the, uh, that's going to make it bring people together? Well, in a sense, it's kind of like Table 17. It's hitting the most sensitive aspect about Abraham. I mean, the thing that causes most controversy about Abraham is the sacrifice of the of the son, you know, the, the, the almost sacrifice of the son. Um, and it seems like all the controversy and all the positive things about people say about Abraham – gets to that one story called the unbinding, right? The unbinding uh, or the binding, I should call it the binding. Um, and it's, you know, uh, be, because the, the, the Muslims traditionally think of it as Ishmael is the one that was almost sacrificed and Jews and Christians think it was Isaac who was almost sacrificed. Already there's a kind of rift and just the narrative, just the basic narrative. And then the issue of a father willing to sacrifice his son already already is, you know, ethically controversial and has been for many, many centuries. So, so um, that's helpful. Um, Andy, what's, what's the focus on, on this? What, what is it that you're trying to get people to talk about or reconcile? You know, that we, we feel very strongly we don't want this to be a show that we just tour around to uh, religious communities. We want this to be something that everyone can participate in and learn from and experience and get moved by. And I think a lot of that is dealing with faith itself, the value of faith, and also the value that people that live a life of faith, how they can help people through um, rough times. And so I think that we're finding the universality in the story as opposed to just trying to do some sort of didactic, look, all three faiths should come together, you know, um, and this is this is how our histories are intertwined. See how Abraham connects us all? Like we're, we're doing it in a different way that I think um, emphasizes the value of faith in, in a way that I think will be moving. Well, um, what's pretty clear for me is that I, I hope I can come and see it when it, when it, when you finally uh, produce it. How how far along are you? In? Well, we're in the very beginning phases. Um, we have had a series of meetings where we've um, worked out the the the, f- the flow of the show, and we're both working on um, writing uh, aspects of the show now. So we're we're I would say um, at the beginning, but not the very beginning. Um, we were into the phase of writing. Okay, so we're we're starting to um, get to the close of of this, um, and uh, if if each of you in just about a minute can, which isn't enough time, can talk about what are you most proud of of your career in the theater in relation to human rights, and really in one minute each. Andy, why don't you start? Yeah. Yeah, um, Well, I would say, you know, looking back, I would say um, working with Quest Theater Ensemble is something I'm very proud of. And the reason why is because, you know, I think that a lot of times we take the arts for granted. 
Um, those of us that are privileged enough to be able to go um, and um, support the the arts and participate in the arts, we forget how many people are unable to do that. And you know, this radical idea that that theater could be completely accessible um, is something that um, I dedicated my life to. Thank you. Okay, and I'll just say that uh, the thing I'm most proud of, uh, I think, is just um, a way of theater being used to heal old historic wounds. Uh, one of the things I did as artistic director of Crossroads Repertory Theater uh, out of Indiana State is I brought in uh, German actors to work with our actors about issues to dealing with World War II and the Holocaust. Um, I also, uh, another summer, I brought in Russian actors to deal with issues that were sort of uh, indirectly related to the Cold War tensions between Russia and the United States. Um, and then I had a summer I brought in Trinidadian actors. All of these did the same thing of uh, of trying to heal old wounds by actors working together. Uh, well, thank you for the work you do and for the work you're going to do. And I, in some ways, I think you are you are peacemakers um, through the medium of of theater. So, thank you. Uh, you've been listening to Change Agents. Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM and on the World Wide Web. I am Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today uh, have written and continue to write and produce plays on human rights topics. Andy Park is the Artistic Director of the Nebraska Repertory Theater and Research Assistant at uh, Professor of Theater. Arthur Feinsod is Professor of Theater at the Honors College at Indiana State University. Thank you both. So the recording is is done. Um, I, I um, made a mistake at the beginning, which is I didn't start my stopwatch. So I had to guess. And so I, I actually don't know if we're early or, or late. But I think but, we're a little early. I think we did great. Well, yeah. I needed to be, I couldn't be late. Because that doesn't work. Um, you you two were phenomenal. Did, did, did it feel like it went pretty quickly? Oh yeah, I, well, I just I, I feel you know with Andy and and me, there's just so much to talk about uh, that's exciting. You know, and we've we've always, um, I mean, you know, we, we haven't even we didn't even touch some of the things that we've done together. That you know, Return of Neverland, it being published, mm -hmm. and also anyway, there's a lot of stuff. But anyway, we'll just well, uh, I, I could see um, coming back to this in a year. Yep. Um, and uh, if or whenever you've got the the plan, yeah. but um, but but you you both were just um, just spectacular. Come, um, uh, well, thank you, Steve. You ask great yeah, questions. You. you ask great questions. Uh, it always yeah. helps to have somebody who asks really good questions. Yeah. And, uh, Absolutely. I I, I got to say, when I was asked to do this, I I had no idea 
I mean, it's nothing I had ever thought of. And um, um, because because I, I, I tend to speak a lot. So, you know, so it's it's that it's being the um, guy. But I'm finding I'm really enjoying asking the uh, asking the questions. And uh, and and Andy, your your, your parents uh, have come to see plays. And yeah, yeah. So that's good. They, they've, they've come around. They've come around. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I, um, I think it's hard for, um, for parents sometime who have this when uh, their, their kids end up doing something that's radically different and maybe they don't completely understand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I think about the, the best comment I had from my father, who uh, was a doctor and a scientist, as he, when I was prosecuting hate crimes, came up to me at one point and said, um, uh, you know, Steve, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've never had to, to deal with violence. Um, I've, uh, I don't know about the kind of things you do, I don't, I don't have any way of understanding what you do, but um, uh, I am immensely proud that you're doing it. Um, and uh, and it's, it's, I think, hard sometimes for people to come out of, uh, yeah, you know, w- whatever they imagine that their children would be doing. Yeah, I'm not sure my mother ever came around. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I honestly think at the same lecture that my dad said, you don't have to be a lawyer. My mother was saying, as I was lecturing on Sophocles, she was saying, oh, but boy, he'd be so great in front of a lawyer with that. <laughs> okay. So um, she still would have been angry at me at age 90, whatever. Yeah, she would have yeah. been. Yep. So um, thank you. Thank you, and Steve. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. I'm going to hope to see both of you sometime in the near future. All right. Bye-bye. I'm sure you will. Bye-bye. Yeah.